Julie Ryan, noted psychic and medical intuitive, is ready to answer your personal questions, even those you never knew you could ask. For more than 25 years, as she developed and refined her intuitive skills, Julie used her knowledge as a successful inventor and businesswoman to help others. Now, she wants to help you to grow, heal, and get the answers you've been longing to hear. Do you have a question for someone who's transitioned? Do you have a medical issue? What about your pet's health or behavior? Perhaps you have a loved one who's close to death and you'd like to know what's happening. Are you on the path to fulfill your life's purpose? No matter where you are in the world, take a journey to the other side and ask Julie Ryan. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Ask Julie Ryan Show. I'm Julie, your host, and I'm so delighted you could join us this week. My intention in doing this show is to provide information, insight, and comfort to people all around the world by helping to answer life's unanswerable questions. We got Nancy Mello with us today. Hi, Nance. Hello, hello. She's a pet psychic, you guys. I think we will have a very fun discussion about all kinds of animals, most likely. And it's it's always fun to have other psychics and mediums on the show, Nance, because we can compare notes and it's fun yeah. to see what yeah. our different techniques and processes are and stuff yeah. like that. And it also makes you feel not so alone. Like, oh, you do that too? It's like, oh, it's so relatable, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, everybody, let me tell you a little bit about Miss Nancy. Nancy Mello is an animal communicator and evidential medium. She prides herself on end of life pet work and helping pets with problem behaviors. And she does that in over 60 countries. All right. Well, that that leads to one of my questions here in a minute. Okay. Nancy's helped find 121 pets since 2020. That's a feat in itself. She's been featured for her work with pets in the Washington Post, the Mirror in the UK, and Dogster Magazine. She lives with her two kids, two cats, two dogs, and one spouse in Mystic, Connecticut. I love that when I read that on your bio. I thought, how cute is that? So can you communicate with any animal? Yeah, anything that has conscious thought. Yeah, sure. So spiders, lizards, snakes, yeah, fish. Yeah, wonderful. It's and and do they how does how does it work? Do you hear answers in your head? Do they does does a fish sound different from a dog, from a camel, from a whatever or does it just come in and feel like it's your thought? So exactly. So when I connect with them, it comes across just like my thought, except it's clearly not mine when I'm hearing, you know, like I had actually I had a dog client this morning that kept saying, close the closet door, close the closet door. Well, obviously it's not happening here behind me. Um, So in terms of uh, and I had another I had actually someone else describe uh, talking with animals as more of not just a uh, conscious thought, but actually an awareness. So like, for instance, a, a fish is going to have more, I'm going to see a lot more images with fish, just images and maybe feelings. Whereas at the higher end, end of the spectrum, pigs, pigs will quote word for word things that their owners have said without missing a beat. Horses, And pigs are probably at the upper echelon of what I would say, because so horses and pigs will show me images and words, whereas lower 
not, and I don't want to say lower, but the less conscious thought you have or the less consciousness you really have on a, you know, a, on a day, whatever, a regular basis, you know? So with, um, when I've worked with snakes that were missing, I just got images of where they were. Cause that's what they're seeing. But as far as a conscious thought, I mean, I remember I had a skink, a little, you know, skink tell me that they wanted their owners to move the plant and they liked the TV. Now, did they know it was a TV? No, absolutely not. It was just a flashing light to them, but they liked the light. And sure enough, there was a plant in front of the enclosure. So, but that was a, like that came across to me as an image of the enclosure and then a plant and then what I identified as a TV. So again, there's a difference between you have like images and then you have images plus words. If that, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's how I get it too. It's a conglomeration of all of those senses. And then sometimes smell comes in, feeling yes, comes yes, in, things yes. like that. Yeah, that's I, I use a lot of my body as well. So like I was just working with a dog in Canada and um, where I felt um, pain in the back left leg. And so I was tapping my left leg or I'll go to my arm and I'll like bend it. And I'll, it's, it's not like I'm physically feeling it, but it's weird because without even realizing it, I'm tapping the part of my body that they're feeling the, the pain. So a lot of times people will be watching me and I'm, I had one person be like, you don't make eye contact. And I'm like, because I'm sensing, I'm connecting with them. And so I'm feeling it here, but then I'm moving my body and I won't realize what I'm doing. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's their right. It's their upper right. So, yeah. I do that with pets and with humans. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Yeah. I'll be talking about, okay, your left ankle and I'll be moving my left yeah. ankle while yeah. I'm talking yeah. about it, yeah. which is hilarious. <laughs> I know it's a riot. So what is a skink? First of all, it's a, I'm going to, I'm going to have to Wikipedia. It's a green, little green. I never heard that. Reptile. I never heard it's, that. Yeah, it's, a, it's a little reptile. It's a, okay. They live only two to three years. I have to, I'm Googling it. It's just a little green reptile. It looks like a little lizard, like a little mini lizard. Like a chameleon kind of a lizard. Um, oh, let's see. It, it's a lizard belonging to some family that I'm not going to pronounce. Um, skin yeah it's it's just a little here i can share the screen it's yeah they they just look like little lizards how funny oh yeah i can't share the screen but yeah just a little it's like a little green lizard a little green lizard and it has little legs on the side yeah huh. all right i'm gonna look that up i never heard <laughs> of a, yeah. S- s-k-i-n-k yeah, skink. skink like stink but skink yeah there you they're, go. Cu- they're cute right. little guys they're cute yeah. So you don't hear like a different tone of communication from a big, huge dog, like a, you know, like a big German shepherd versus not a necess- chihuahua. Not necessarily. I will get personality. So like I was working with um, a cat that had passed and then two living animals in the family. And immediately when I connect with the cat passing, it was, this was my house, mine. And it's kind of, but was it the tone or was it just the, the personality of being very much, this was my house, this was my spot in the house, this is what I did. And it was very authoritative. And then, so you will get tones in that. Um, but that's what's so funny. I joke, like, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like, a um, and I totally show my age when I make this comparison, but it's almost like a telephone party or you'd pick up the phone and you'd have like a party line. That's how it is in my head. Sometimes when you're working with multiple animals in the same house, 
Because originally, especially when I'm introducing myself to them or I'm seeing them for the first time, they're all going to sound the same. And it's only when I can get their personality down and kind of see, okay, this is the cat that's more territorial, then I'll be able to tell the difference. But I'll say, and it's interesting because even sometimes we'll be talking to animals and I'll be focusing on the one animal and then another one that I don't even have a photo of that is, you know, is pushing their way through because they have something to say. I remember I was connecting with a dog that had passed and... And, you know, owners were really mourning it. And I kept hearing this stuff and I was talking and the guy goes, that doesn't sound anything like our dog. And then his wife went, wait a minute. And the dog, there was a, one of their other dogs was sitting out of view and they were like, oh my God, you're that, that dog was coming through because it had immediate needs. I love that. Well, interestingly enough, you know, I work with humans way more than Mm -hmm. pets. I do work with pets, but nothing like you. I work with humans way more. But when I'm working with spirit guides, spirit guides all show up in a way that reminds me of different versions of Father Time. Think of Mm -hmm. Dumbledore in the Harry Potter movies or Gandalf in the Lord (laughs) of the Rings movies. And so some are fat and tall, fat and tall, skinny and short, whatever. And and then when we focus on each individual one, then they morph into looking like what they looked like in the lifetime that mm-hmm. correlates with what we're discussing. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. It reminds me of that, what you were just mentioning, that you can, they, they kind of all look the same. And then once you hone in on a mm-hmm. certain animal, then they give you more information about them. Do you come from a family of mediums? How'd you find your calling as a pet communicator? Uh, so, uh, yes and no. So it's, my family is, uh, very conservative, uh, very, I grew up on a small farm in Northern California of agriculture farms. So I always have to specify that because people think farm, think, think cows and stuff. And no, no, it was agriculture. Um, so, uh, unfortunately it wasn't encouraged. Uh, it, you know, we, we, the nearest town had 700 people in it and I was very no, much known as different. And I, as soon, well, so I first identified with speaking with dead people. And as soon as I told my mom that she, I, at eight years old, and this was in the eighties, I was put on Prozac. I was put on medication to oh, wow. quiet, to quiet my, my thoughts. I mean, and I was diagnosed with everything under the sun for the next decade from, you know, I mean, you name it. And the and the eighties, you know, it was how can we get the voices to stop? And even though it was never, it was never again voices. It was feelings. It was smells, smells. It was uh, just knowing people were around me. It was knowing things that were going to happen. It was all of that stuff, and it's very scary uh, to people that really want to push it down. It come in my uh, in my forties, in my late thirties, early forties. It has come out that uh, my great-great-grandfather actually had a healing church. He was a doctor. He got hurt. He healed himself through prayer. And so he actually had a healing church in LA and it had created this big movement, um, some of which the followers are still around today, but he had this big healing movement. So he was able to heal people through his hands, through his energy. Uh, and so I've been able to trace that lineage down. That's the one I can trace down. Although it's very hard because I come from two very different families. One is 100% Portuguese from the Azores. And again, uh, if if it was talked about, it was talked about in hushed tones. Uh, so like I remember a few years ago, I had a horrible flu, um, like 104 degrees. 
And I remember I had a, um, my great grandmother who, uh, came over from the Azores, started speaking to me in Portuguese. Well, I had no idea what she was saying, but I kept hearing something over and over again. So she started revealing herself to me. So from, and coincidentally, I, I married a white boy that speaks Portuguese. So I, she was, she kept saying this word over and over. I go and, uh, my husband comes in and I kept saying this word and she was saying, eat, eat, eat. I had turned out I hadn't eaten, but anyway, so from that, she kind of revealed to me that it also went from that side. But again, no one speaks about it. And especially since I became public with this, God forbid, God forbid, I am still the the black sheep of the family and it's not really recognized, which is okay. I mean, it's, you know, I, I understand it's very scary, especially because for most of my life, I tried to do the same thing. I tried to fit in, you know, I, I tried to do everything right. And my abilities kept coming out and kept coming out in beautiful ways, but I was always very confused because I could never really, I, I could feel that my, I didn't know what my purpose was, but I knew that I wasn't being fulfilled and there was something that was missing. And um, it really took a kind of a, a, a something, something that happened that kind of threw me off of things to realize that as much as I hated rejection, as much as I uh, was, I was terrified, I was terrified of rejection. I am very much an introvert. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very much an introvert, but that I was being called to do this. And it kept, it kept coming up and it kept coming up. And I realized that if I could help one person, if I could help one animal, then it was worth it. Then it was worth all of those fears that I was, that I, that I had, had, had thought would happen. And, um, it's, it's been beautiful. I really feel like it is a calling. Uh, I will be doing this rest of my life. No question. There's, you know, and it's amazing because some of those fears that I had, ha you know, have come to fruition. I, I really don't have much of a relationship with my family, which is okay. But what I didn't expect was to develop a new family, either of what I co call my psychic friends network, of my, my people that I trust and I love in the community, and also just clients that have become friends. So a lot of the stuff I feared, while some of it did happen, I have gained so much more from being able to help others. So it's, it's worth it, but it's scary. It's so, you know, it's people go, Oh, I wish, I wish, I wish I could, you know, I wish I could talk to animals. That would be my dream job. And I'm like, that's wonderful. It's, it's a wonderful, but there's a lot of stuff on the other side that um, it, it, we don't talk about, you know, that it's, it is scary. It is hard. It is, uh, you get a lot of that rejection. You get a lot of people that don't understand. I, my daughter is a teenager now. And she's already, ha and I've been very careful about, at least in the area that I'm in, of not really, you know, wanting to, I don't make a big deal out of what I do. I usually just say I'm a consultant. And I already had my daughter lost a friend because the friend said, I don't want to be, you know, I know what your mom does and I don't, you know, it's not. And, you know, and I felt horrible, you know, so you have you, what you decide to do also affects your immediate family. And again, stuff that isn't talked about a lot. But it was funny because when my daughter told me it happened and I just said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And she said, I don't care, mom. She was a jerk. Like to her, it, it was worth it. To her, it wasn't like this big sacrifice. To her, it was like, of course, I'm not going to let someone talk bad about you. But I I really wanted to avoid that, you know? Um, so I, I it, it, it's it's wonderful, but a lot of people don't see that underbelly. Was there a catalyst of something that 
really was the thing that prompted you to come out of the closet. Can you tell us about that? Uh, so, so I, uh, I went to go unalive myself as the, as the young people would say, I went to go unalive myself and it wasn't the first time. Uh, it, it has been, it had been an ongoing, ongoing life uh, thing ever since I was 12, I feel like was my first attempt at unaliving. And I'd been in the hospital a couple of times and uh, I had lost a child five years prior. I'd lost a child and um, it wasn't just that. It was just, it was just constant depression and anxiety. And uh, I actually went in the middle of the night to a train station and left my phone and, and my plan was to end it. And uh, I just remember screaming in the car and just saying, why am I like this? Why am I like this? Like, this is not me. This is not what I'm supposed to do. Like I, it's, and I realized I'd been railing against it forever. And I just remember I could feel people around me and I'm like, I don't want to fail you. Like, why, why me? Like, I am so the antithesis of someone that would do this. Like I'm, I, I consider myself somewhat normal, even though I'm very much not, but like I tried to do, you know, I'm married to an active duty military person. Like I tried to be the, the military spouse. I tried to be the, the mom. I tried to do everything right. And I just, the depression and the anxiety just surrounded me. And I just remember sitting there going, I had a choice. I could either unalive myself and let it go. Or if I could help one person, one pet, then this would be worth it. Then this depression and anxiety and the stuff I was carrying would would be worth it. And I went home and my husband was waiting for me and I said, I need help. And he said, yep. And we were actually working on getting myself into a hospital. And he went to sleep and I had already notified my therapist. And I remember I just came out of bed and I said, I know what I need to do. And I literally researched cheapest websites, cheapest websites uh, to to purchase. And uh, I spent, it was $100. I'll never forget that, $100. And my spouse wakes up and I said, I bought a website. I know what I'm doing. I know how to help myself. And he just looked at me and he said, okay. And I'm sure he figured he'd never see that money again. (laughs) And so uh, I told my therapist, I let her know. And I said, this is what I need to do. And thankfully, she had been with me long enough that she kind of, she she already knew. And she said, okay, like, if you need help, I'm here. And three days later, I had my first client. And I, I started it for the first year. I was under a pseudonym or not a pseudonym, but I went under just kind of a generic website. But I did tell friends what I was doing. And I kind of was wait, like doing more word of mouth. And um, just started, it went from there. And I think it got to a point about a year in. And my spouse came up to me, again, active duty sailor. I did not want to hurt his career. I was very terrified about hurting anyone in the process. And I remember he came up to me and he just said, I'm proud of you. I don't care. I don't care. If you want to use your name, if this is what you need to do, do it. And uh, I I just knew. So I actually bought my name. My name is Nancy Mello. I am Nancy Mello. And I kind of took off the entire mask, so to speak, and went from there. And it was right after that, actually, I, I found my first missing pet. And a couple months later, I was in the Washington Post. And it would, it just kind of, but it was amazing how me deciding to be vulnerable and be open. Once I was ready, the universe just, just said, okay. 
And I know this isn't typical. I know that this is not a typical thing to happen. Um, but I remember very early on in this journey after I had started my website and I was starting to get clients and I just remember having this feeling. I just said, this is going to be big. Like I didn't know exactly what, but I just knew that this was big. And I also knew that there was a reason why that I had all of that stuff, the loss of my child, all of the horrible, crappy stuff that's happened in my life. It was preparing me for this. It was gaining the empathy. It's amazing how many people I talk to that have lost children. And I don't publicize it on my website that, you know, lost mom, I don't have a scarlet letter, although sometimes it feels like it. But it's amazing how many people find me. And I've been able to emphasize, I've had to put down an animal due to aggression or and because of something. And at the time when it happened, it actually happened right before we lost our daughter. I remember thinking, oh my God, you know, it was like my life was a country song. But now when I work with people that unfortunately their pets have to get euthanized for aggression or issues or biting, again, so every, it's so interesting how much the universe shows me on a weekly basis that all of these things I experienced were to empathize with other people and to be able to not just sense, but help them and hear messages from the universe. But I don't just tell you what I'm hearing, but I can really go, no, 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 I've been there or I can relate. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm honest about it. Like I, I, I told myself in the very beginning, I, I would, I would be honest, always honest. I will never lie. I will always tell you, I, if I don't know something, I will always tell you I don't know or I'm not sure. Uh, I will never BS. I will always be authentic. I will never say something just to say it. And I really pride myself. Um, I have bad days still. I've, I've never, I since that ex, the experience with the train, I, a lot of my extreme depression has vanished uh, and anxiety, but I still get, sad like every person and I'm very honest when I get sad I get sad you know you have hard days I I don't think we're not unalike I think you know before the stereotypes I had growing up and I don't know about you but my my you know the psychics I knew growing up were Miss Cleo Sylvia Brown and they were all had a beautiful and and don't get me wrong Sylvia Brown was a beautiful soul but they all had this beautiful air about them and I remember telling someone about a decade ago and it was so funny because she quoted me when I came out um, I just said, I'm not like that. I'm not fanciful. I'm not crystals and, and, and horoscopes. That's just not me. And I didn't think I could do that. I didn't think I belonged in this arena because I wasn't like them. And then, of course, when I did it, my friend messaged me and said, it's about time. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, you just said you never wanted to be like that. But I realized I could be me and I could take my own identity and I could create who I, I don't want to be anyone else. And, and for some people, that's great. And some people, maybe, maybe they want something more like a Sylvia Brown. And that's wonderful. There are wonderful psychics out there for everyone, but just like counselors and therapists, like there's different flavors, there's different styles of readings. For me, I just, I speak the way I, I think I am and the way I'd want to be spoken to. I'm very, I try and be very scientific very, uh, very to the point, but not without kindness. I try and be com completely, I try and be, I, from what I'm hearing, I try and be as clear as possible. Uh, and, and I say everything with love. And even the things, sometimes it's not always going to be good news. If there's anything horrible, I always stop and say, do you want to hear it? Do you really want to know? 
because I don't ever want to put someone in a position of pain, but my style might not work for everyone. But that's what I figured in all of this was I just had to be myself and I just had to own it, whatever that was. Right, right. Well, thank you for your service, both your husband and you and your family, because being a service family is every bit of a an opportunity and a sacrifice for the spouse and the kids as the person who is serving. So thank you for that. And uh, I am married to a Air Force brat. He grew up in the Air Force <laughs> and then was in the Air Force, was drafted during Vietnam. And that was before I met him because he's older than I am. But I, I have learned a lot through the family about what goes on. So I tease them though, because they talk about Air Force bases just by the name of the base. And I say, okay, you got a civilian here? I have no clue where that is. You got to tell me, okay, so-and-so Air Force base in such and such of a city. And then they'll yank them back in. Well, every medium with whom I've spoken has a coming out of the closet story. And it's fascinating to hear that. I believe we all come in with the ability and children at the age of about six or seven, it's been my experience, Nancy, see what you see if you agree with this in your experience that they start shutting it down because family members or friends or teachers or grandparents or whomever will say, oh, honey, that's just your imagination. That's not really real. But, oh my gosh, the stories of little children and the past lives and the deceased loved ones that are visiting them and the deceased pets and on and on and on. That goes on forever. Before we started recording, you and I were having just a real brief conversation about how to remember things. And you mentioned that if you've got a a meeting that you have to go to, you've got it in multiple places. So you remember to do it because of ADD or ADHD or whatever you want to call it. And I said, well, every medium that I know, including myself, we all have a touch of that, that we can multitask. I think it's a female superpower to be able to multitask, number one. And number two, I think ADD and ADHD are superpowers for anybody that has them. And it's my belief that most of civilization has had that. And when it became an issue was about 150 years ago when we were expected to sit in a classroom all day and listen to somebody drone on about something and then memorize it and spew it back on a test. And then the drug companies got a hold of the concept and they made customers for life with the medicine that ADD people are supposed to take. So I talked to two moms this morning with children with ADD and I say, it's a superpower. And we talked about how can you foster what they're interests are. Talk a little bit about why you think it's beneficial to you and how do you use that to your advantage in the work that you do? Well, one of the things that I was mentioning before we started recording is the hyper-focus. For me, that's my favorite part of this in relate in relation to uh, sessions because I, uh, I my, my spouse was gone for two years. We call it geo-batching where they were living somewhere else. And I would have my kids downstairs and the smoke detector would go off. I had everything that could happen during a session happen. One time my cat's tail got caught on fire by a, by a, a candle. <laughs> like it's been, it, it, you know, and by hyper-focusing, I don't hear anything. 
Like it took the smoke detector up here and everything was fine. It was fine. It was just the oven smoking. Um, I should have probably started with that. But no, like I I will hear things in the background and it just, everything goes out. It's similar to how like when you're reading and time just passes, that's the same way in sessions, I'm hyper-focused. So it doesn't matter what happens outside of a session. Like, like you and I were just talking, we had just had lunch and we're having lunch. Everything's fine, right? We are not connected in this way. But as soon as I sit in the chair and as soon as I start talking, everything else goes away. And what I love is that it, A, sessions go by incredibly quickly for me, but B, I am completely in it with you. Completely and utterly, utterly in it with you. I'll never forget, uh, um, with the birth of my first child, I remember they were giving my OB some uh, challenges with, with delivering in the hospital we were in. And I remember going, oh my gosh, Dr. S, please like, don't let it affect the C-section. I remember being so terrified. And I remember he looked at me and I'll never forget this. He said, no, because when I do C-sections, I go into my Zen mode. And that's what I call it now is that, and sure enough, everything was fine with my daughter. But with that, this is my Zen mode. Like, my spouse and I could be having a disagreement about putting the toilet seat down, whatever. And I go in and what I love is I can kind of turn off from the rest of my life. And it's just you. It's what you need. It's what the universe is giving us. So for me, that hyper-focus is everything. Uh, Another trait I love about ADD is we tend to be very empathetic and very sensitive already. So I really find it helpful. I mean, I don't know what it's like, frankly, to not be empathetic, but, you know, to be able to really uh, hold hands with someone and even sometimes hold hands in the quiet is so powerful. You know, we may not be in your shoes, but we're, we're with you in that moment. And that's actually a lot why I like, um, I love working end of life with pets because it's such a sacred ground that we're in. And same thing with my ADD. You are the only thing that matters when I'm talking to you. We're in a bubble. And being able to walk you and your pet through and feel it and sense it, it's just everything. But it's due to the neurodivergence. Well, I have a a dear friend who started actually the entrepreneur program at the University of Southern California, called it at the Marshall uh, Business School. (laughs) She said, all CEOs have ADD, all entrepreneurs, all inventors all have ADD. And and we were laughing because I've founded nine companies in five industries. And people say, well, how's that work? I was like, I don't know. I was just interested in something. And then yeah. I took money from one company and did something else, did something else. She goes, well, yeah, you all got ADD. I said, okay, that's fine. But when I'm working with somebody, whether it be, a, it's usually a human or, or a, an animal, I will see things in my mind's eye. I'll feel things. I'll smell things. I'll hear things. I'll get what I call divine downloads into my head. So I'm able to process a whole bunch of different channels of information all coming in at once. So I think the ADD is a superpower. And interestingly enough, I had a psychiatrist tell me that that's how most people's brains worked. You know, you think about the hunter-gatherers, they're going out to find dinner. They're tracking the prey. They're looking mm-hmm. at the weather. They're paying attention to where they are. Do I have the right weapon? How am I going to get it back? You know, they got all these things all happening at the same time. Well, tell us how you connect to pets. What's your technique? What's like if I want you to scan my dog 
How does that work? What do you do? Uh, I'm laughing because I don't, I feel like I don't have a technique. I just kind of do it. No, um, usually I request a, a photo of their eyes only because I, I say it's like Wi-Fi instead of 5G or 3G. So having a, uh, having a picture, I'm immediately able to connect in. And, you know, usually I ask for a specific question just so my mind, again, knows where to focus as opposed to going. Rrr. So uh, that's a technical term that. Uh, no, so, uh, you know, I'll ask, well, what, you know, what do you want to focus on the session? Let's say, uh, you know, oh, my, my dog is having stomach issues. So immediately I'm going to focus on the stomach. But yeah, I just immediately connect in. But even without a photo, all I need is a name. And I, I, don't, I don't know, I just kind of look off and. I'm able to connect. It's, it, it's, uh, it's, it's almost overly simple. Uh, and maybe it's just because I've been doing it my whole life. I mean, I remember I, I joke that I used to do it to get cute boys to kiss me and take me out to dinner. I would say, Hey, I can tell you about your grandfather. I'll tell you, blah, blah, blah. And they'd be like, Oh, and I'd be like, yeah, you owe me dinner. I, I got a lot of cute boys and maybe a couple of girls to kiss me that way. It was great. I mean, I used it to my advantage, but it was all through just, Something, it, it, something about looking at their eyes. And I just, it's like I fall in. But even without the eyes, if you just tell me a name and it's just my eyes go to like a place diagonally and I just am able to sense it. Well, the eyes are the windows of the soul. Mm -hmm. You know, that's been said for a long time. And I think that the interesting part about that is you're, you're, doing a technique that you've just done so much that you don't think about it. It's like you get in the car to drive. You don't think about, okay, I got to put <laughs> yeah, my foot on yeah. the brake. I got to push the button. <laughs> Me too. Turn it on and off in a nanosecond. Do pets have common wants? Do they, for example, frequently, they, they tell me that they want more treats a lot of the time. They'll say, yeah, I'd like more treats. But do they have common requests when sure. you work with um, them and and does it depend on what the species is like do dogs have different requests than cats have you ever heard of cozy earth bedding it's your ultimate luxury escape cozy earth sheets are temperature regulating and incredibly soft and they even have a 10-year warranty they're made from organic bamboo and silk are hypoallergenic and even antimicrobial Cozy Earth sheets are so amazing. They've been on Oprah's favorite things list for five years in a row, and I have them on my bed right now. So if you're ready to elevate your sleep, Cozy Earth has a special offer for just for my listeners. Go to CozyEarth.com and use the code AskJulie for a 35% discount. That's C-O-Z-Y-Earth.com and use code AskJulie for a 35% discount. Upgrade your sleep with Cozy Earth Bedding. I love them and so will you. The biggest thing I get from animals across the board is they want their humans to talk to them. They want to be interacted with. That's the biggest piece of advice I give to any pet parent is talk to your animals. Talk to your animals like they're toddlers. Say good morning to them. Ask them how they slept. Ask, you know, when you come home from work, ask them how their day was. Ask them, you know, say good night to them, but interact with them. It's amazing how just talking to them on a daily basis. I've had people that will start from not talking to their pet at all and message me three weeks later going, oh my God, how much of a difference in just the connection can, it, it, it'll really increase. 
so in terms of across the board, dogs and cats, I think the main, a lot of things I get are don't wipe my eyes. I know it feels good, especially if you're neurodivergent to kind of pick at things, but don't clean their eyes. Most of them hate cleaning their eyes. Don't clean their chins. Um, dogs do not want their paws cleaned. I don't care if they are the most easygoing dog. They like mud on their paws. They want to come in with mud on their paws. They don't want you to wipe them. And if you do be really gentle. Um, a lot of cats don't like being picked up. They just, they'll follow you if they, if they choose to. A lot of cats want to kind of do their own thing. 99% of pets don't wake them up when they're sleeping. I know they're adorable. I know I do the same thing to my pets, but it's, so it's common like that with, I will say, starting from like a horse standpoint, which horses and pigs, I find some of the most intelligent that I get to work with on a daily basis. Horses have real distinct taste in music, actually. They generally will always tell me about the music that they that people are playing, cleaning out the stalls. Uh, I had one horse tell me recently that he didn't like all the yelling and there was too much yelling. And it turned out there was a new helper that was listening to death metal while cleaning the stalls. Um, so horses are very sensitive to their environment. And that's that you can say that's an obvious thing, but they will nitpick music. They will nitpick who is cleaning their stall. They will nitpick how how much hay they have and what kind of hay. Uh, they will be able to tell the difference between the maple cookies from this week and then the maple cookies you bought from a different manufacturer. Oh, they'll know. Uh, they are very, very, very intuitive. Uh, and, and and somewhat, and that can be somewhat challenging, especially when you're working with a horse that that needs some work. Uh, so they they definitely know so much more than's going on uh pigs uh, pigs want to be recognized pigs don't want to be treated like pigs if that makes sense they don't they, uh, the majority of people i talk to with pigs while they adore them they're talking to them like oh look at like i had one pig and said um the pig literally quoted to me i don't want to eat any more of that crap well, the husband of the client I was talking to would say, stop feeding the pig that crap. And so the pig was quoting it, but the pig wanted to be regarded as more of like a dog. So in other words, you cuddle with the dog, you play like they wanted to be nurtured as well. So yes, yes and no. You'll get common things, but you'll also get common things to each species. One of my favorite movies is Secretariat. And I think I've seen that movie probably five or six times and the relationship with that penny the owner had and she would go out and she would talk to him before the races and the night before and when he was injured and she could it was almost like she had a telepathic mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. communication channel with secretariat and it it's just if any of you haven't seen that movie rent it it's fabulous yeah, horses definitely know. And I work with a lot of horses that compete. Do they know they're competing? Absolutely. But sometimes they don't like it. Like I was just working with a horse in France and the horse kept saying, and the horse is usually amazing in competition. And the horse said, well, it was so loud. There was too much music. And it turns out the competition was in this arena right by this, in France, I guess they were having a big party and by this bar that had been open all night. So the horse hadn't been sleeping. So it's, 
the horses definitely know what's going on. But again, sometimes just like with, you know, athletes, human athletes, sometimes it's not going to be our day. Sometimes they're just like, I, I didn't want to jump over that. I, I didn't feel like it. I didn't, or I didn't like the color of it. I, I'll get that. Well, why didn't you do it? Well, I didn't like the color. I didn't like the stripes. <laughs> so they definitely, they horses are, I, I love working with them because they just have a mind of their own and they are very, uh, you know, dogs and cats can be very specific in what they want, but horses take it to another level. You know, I want you to wear this cologne, but I don't, you know, I mean, some horses will go out of the way to say, you need to take a shower because I don't, I mean, yeah. Or I don't like the way you smell. If you just worked with another horse, you need to change clothes. Interesting. Why do cats pee in the house instead of in the litter box? Oh my God. Many different reasons. It could be, it could, I mean, uh, the first thing I always say is talk to your vet. Please talk to your vet before consulting with me. Um, short answer is usually they're pissed off about something. I mean, that's a short answer uh, a lot of times. And this is where my questions over email come in handy. A lot of times it's something you've changed. Your schedule has changed. You've moved the furniture and it could be something minor. I've had cats pee on beds because you move the ottoman in the living room. You know, <laughs> you've changed the litter. They don't like the litter. Cats are so particular about their litter. So some cats are, I should say. So it, it depends. It's usually something that you've changed that they're mad at. And so what can somebody do if their cat is doing that? I've had people throughout the years call into my show and they'll say, oh my gosh, I'm just about ready to throw this cat out the window because it just won't go in the letterbox. How can they figure out, short of talking to you or to me or somebody who's a medium like us, how can they figure out what's going on and help help correct the behavior? Uh, first and foremost, having a good relationship with your veterinarian and really uh, treating a cat like a child in the sense of understanding how often do they use the litter box? When do they use it? Um, but having a good relationship with your veterinarian, changing the litter box. Some cats need it twice a day. Changing the litter box is huge. And bottom line is if you can keep everything as routine as possible, especially around their litter box, try and keep the litter the same, try and keep the litter box the same, try not to do anything too extra around the litter box, uh, you know, keep it clean, but main thing is keep it clean. And I know it's hard. Uh, some cats don't like the litter robot. Some are the me the mechanical litter boxes. Some cats absolutely will not. And sometimes it's a litter box choice. So if you, again, it's going back and looking at what has changed. Sometimes it's just changing the litter box, even or the litter box style. But it's about keeping things as routine as you can, especially in that area. But if your cat starts peeing out, the first thing I would say is, what have you changed? What have you changed? What, what, what is different? Are you going to work later? Are you staying up later? Uh, do you have friends that are now coming over? What, what is changing in the house? And then they have to go back to what they did before they made the change to get the cat to stop peeing in the house. I mean, how does that, how's it remedied? Sometimes it's just getting the cat used to the new environment, you know, because we're not, we're not, it doesn't always have to be going back. It's just understanding that the cat is safe and everything's okay. And this change has nothing to do with them generally. Mm -hmm. Okay. What suggestions do you have for families that have an aggressive dog? 
it's on, it depends on, it depends on why the dog is aggressive. I, I think training is huge training, training, and more training, working on even simple things like sit and stay on a daily basis. If you can just working on little things like that, making sure they're getting enough exercise. Usually when dogs are aggressive, they're not walked as much. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes or not exercised enough, even if it's not, you know, even if it's going into a backyard and throwing a ball, making sure the dog is getting enough energy out, it really compounds the issues of aggression. So um, also for an aggressive dog routine, same thing, routine is huge. Keeping everything as even keel as you can, making sure with aggressive with aggressive dogs, it's making sure they're fed on time. You know, if if they are fed every morning and night at six o'clock, then really try and stick to that. Little things like that can go a long ways. And also speaking to them kindly, not you know understanding okay they're going to be aggressive, but instead of going you know how dare you, being empathetic to what they're afraid of, a lot of assurance. You know, I, I, I never say B-I-D-D-O-G in a session. It's always, you're a good girl. You're a good boy. You're a good dog. So still lots of compliments. You also see that where people, because they're they're frustrated and, you know, they're not giving their animals a lot of compliments because they're fed up. And it's, regardless, it's just like a child. Like you may not like the behavior. You love the child, but you don't care for the behavior. So you still, you're a good puppy. Everything's okay. And lots of assurance. You're safe. You're not going anywhere just because you have this behavior doesn't mean we're shipping you off. Is that what it is? It's always based in fear, the aggression? It, it, it just depends. Sometimes it's PTSD. Uh, it, it just depends. It would be a question of what, what their history is. It's, it's, not, it's very much not black and white. It could be a combination of both. You could have a, a, a dog that has had from, from the outside a picturesque puppyhood where they came from a breed or whatever you know everything and they're still going to be aggressive sometimes it's genetics sometimes it's the fact that they grew up in Tijuana on the street and they had to fight for things it just with aggression it, it could go so many ways so I mean it just depends it just I mean I have a I have a cattle dog myself and she was born in a foster home so we know where she came from and when she was a puppy we had a little one of those puppy gates and she got one of her legs stuck in the puppy gate well now she hates that back leg touched because of that one incident and even with me working with her and you know saying it's okay you'll never be hurt again she does not like that leg touch you know, so it could be something really minor, even if you've had this dog your its whole life. It could be something so minor. I've had dogs that are terrified because one time they were trapped in a bathroom, a laundry room. I have some dogs that get freaked out because they've been in kennels. It just, it just depends. You mentioned too early on in this conversation that you've had to put down aggressive dogs and suggested that people euthanize an aggressive dog. When does it get to that point? When they've bitten somebody or injured somebody or another animal? That's not, it's not an easy answer. I think it depends. I, I, I work with a lovely client that uh, one of her dogs uh, killed an, her other dog and she has chosen to keep the dog. And it's, uh, it's been a beautiful, really a beautiful process because she ended up getting PTSD from it, uh, but she refused to put down her other dog. And I am... That case, I'm really honored to still work with her because she she went through a lot. 
but that was her choice. So it's just, it's different for everyone. It's sometimes, sometimes it's not your choice. I've, I had, I've had clients that have had to have their dogs put down because they killed a couple of sheep. You know, uh, sometimes it's out of your hands. Sometimes you have parents that put your animals down when you're at college or whatever. So again, that's so variable, but mm-hmm. it's never an easy decision. And what happened with your dog when you had to put your dog down? Uh, it, it was just, it just, she, she was, uh, she is an American Akita. She's a beautiful Akita. And uh, I was pregnant with a, I, with a special needs child and we didn't know it at the time. And our Akita was being very, and my spouse was out at sea a lot. And my Akita was being very protective over this baby. And she reacted to a dog that was close by to us, but wasn't. And she she hurt him, but didn't kill. And um, just, you know, a, a series of events after that just unfortunately led to her passing. So um, it's something I, you know, it's, it's, it's sad, but it's, uh, it's not easy. It's not easy. And especially there's a lot of blame. And that's when, when I work with clients about when they have to put their animal down, I, I think one of the first questions is, did you, you know, or do they blame me? And a hundred percent of the time it's no, that they understand. So I get that I, too. I get that a yeah. lot too. Yeah. So, it's, but, it's a question that's, a, that's asked like immediately after they put a dog but down. But it's, it's never, it's never an easy decision and it's never, you know what? It's such a it's, it's such a personal choice. It's such a personal choice. So, and if you have the choice, and but again, like it be, it's such a it's such it's such gray areas because sometimes you don't have the choice. Sometimes it's so it's such a you know it's 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 rough. No pun intended. Do animals tell you when they want or need a medical procedure? And are you a pet energy healer? Yes, I will hear things that they need. Uh, do I have the capacity to help heal? I, I think my genetics would say yes. Uh, I usually recommend a veterinarian. Oh, yeah. 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 No, but I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, that, uh, that's, I, I, to, to this date, it's a party trip for me still. If that makes sense, like I'll do some healing on my daughter, and my daughter will say, "What are you doing?" <laughs> so, um, can I help? I like I like to try and help as much as I can from here. Yeah, the energy healing work that I do with humans and with pets are, I believe, is part of the healing equation. Mm-hmm. And and absolutely, take the dog or the cat or the animal or whatever to the vet. By the way, my daughter-in-law, Mallory, is a veterinarian. So it's great to oh, I love that. bounce things off of oh, her. I love that. Because I'll see something and I'll, and I'll call, I'll say, Mal, what do you think about this? And she'll say, well, the blah, 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 blah. And, you know, she's got all the technical terms and stuff, but she's so brilliant. And, uh, all of her patients love her. And the funniest thing about, about Dr. Mal Nance is that she calls her patients the pet and she'll say, well, yeah, my patient's human. She calls their owners are human. She'll say, my patient's human said this, this, and this. And it's just so cute. But yeah, I love talking to her about the pet healings 
that I get to see. And with humans too, I'll say, okay, the healing happens on the energetic level. It's going to integrate into your body. Mm -hmm. That's on the energetic level. On the human level, do this, 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 call Mm -hmm. your doctor, change in diet, physical therapy, whatever, all part of the healing equation. You talk about the energy that it takes for you to be a pet communicator and an evidential medium. So tell us a little bit about what you do to stay at the top of your game. I watch Real Housewives. Okay. I watch I watch reality TV. Uh and I'm I'm being very honest. I so I I do work out. I work out uh I try and work out about an hour a day, sometimes two. I I love moving my body, but that's just me. Um no, honestly, the best thing I can do is turn my brain off. So I, I watch reality TV. I, uh, I, I do, I, I, I dance. I'm, I'm very silly. I, I like to just be goofy and, uh, I love, I love to travel when I can. Um, I, I will never turn down a dare. I will never turn to, you know, so I love playing with my kids, uh, running around the house, you know, just, I love getting out of my head. And for me, I always say like, people always laugh when I say the housewives are reality TV. And I say, no, no, you don't get it. Like what I love about the housewives and other reality TV is for me, and I think for anyone with this kind of neurotypical, is you have a image, sound, you have a sensory overload. So you have makeup, you have hair, you have jewelry, you have this whole ensemble, and then you have their voice and you have the conflict and kind of the, the soap opera aspect, if you will. So there's so many different ways to kind of pull you in and and for me, it's it's the same thing as reading a romance novel or a chick a chick chick lit. It's but it pulls you in. And in that zone, I'm not sensing anything. I'm not feeling anything. Or you know, I'm just I'm just enjoying the drama. I mean, or the, I don't enjoy the drama, but enjoying the soap opera aspect of it. So for me, it's because it's hitting all of my senses, though. So I enjoy that. And it's funny because my my spouse, um, he actually just recently, he retired within a month of the Navy and he's taken some time off and he started watching The Housewives with me. And he's never gotten a chance to do this stuff because he's always been working and he's getting into it now. And he's like, oh my God, you didn't tell me this was so good. But because it is just, it pulls you in. So honestly, I, I you know, I, I, I just, I, I consider myself pretty off the wall. And I just, I'm just, I love to have fun. Uh, I'm a big, big Peloton person. Uh, I, I really resisted against Peloton for the longest time because everyone was doing it. And um, now I'm, I, I ride every day and I, I love it. It's just, it, it's another community to be a part of. Wonderful. Well, and I think that it's, you mentioned joy several times and I find that it's spirit working through us and with us is spirit's pure love, which is pure joy. So keeping that joy thing going is really important to be able to stay in the vibration of spirit and allow spirit to work through us and with us. That's my take on it. You do a lot of work with pets at the end of their lives. How can you tell the animals close to dying? And does the animal tell you if it wants to be euthanized? Yes, an animal will always, that's the first question I always ask is, are you ready to go? And how do you want to go? And respecting that decision of the animal. And sometimes it's not in line with what the person wants. And then that's, you know, a conversation. Uh, How can you tell a pet is ready to go? Malaise, not eating, not getting up. You'll see them kind of start to stare off 
Maybe their eyes get a little bit glassy. Uh, and it's also, I think, for any pet owner, it's a general feeling you get. I think anyone that you know, has that connection, it's it's you you kind of get this feeling like they're ready. And then, you know, I have a lot of people ask me, well, how do I know it's not me keeping them around? And it's, it you know, the the very Buddhist approach is taking me out of the equation and saying, you know, do they want to stay or am I keeping them? And really trying to look at it as objectively as you can. When I work with humans, back to my daughter-in-law, Dr. Mal's uh, name for the pet owners, when I work with humans and humans are dying, Nance, I see the spirit exit through the top of the head and it hangs on to the top of the head while they're transitioning, while they're in the dying process. And I've come up with this term called the 12 phases of transition, how they're surrounded by angels and deceased loved ones and the spirits of deceased pets. And so when a pet is dying or when an animal is dying, whether it's a pet or not, that spirit bubble of their spirit exiting through the top of their head, I'll see that as well. And I'll be able to tell that this animal is dying. I do not see angels around them. I do not see their litter mates around them. I do not see other pets, but I do see the spirit bubble when I say see in my mind's mm-hmm. eye. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so wonderful when I'm working with a family who has a loved one who's dying because every pet that person's ever had in their life, their spirits are in the room mm-hmm. as they're mm-hmm. in the end days of their lives. And I can always tell if somebody's grown up on a farm, I'll say, okay, there's horses and chicks and pigs and ducks and lammies and and all these farm animals. Did your grandmother grow up on a farm? And then I'll describe what the animals look like. They'll say, oh yeah, that was that was Susie, her collie. That was Bessie, her cow. That was Trigger, her horse. And it gives so much comfort to the family and also the person who's dying, if they can still communicate and if the family can tell them, you know, that those pets are in the room. Also gives comfort to people who aren't dying that know when their time comes that their beloved pets are going to be there. Interestingly enough, there's university-based research that shows that 90% of people at the end of their lives report seeing their deceased loved ones and the spirits of deceased pets, either in visions or dreams, 90%. And that's what I see too. So that's how I can tell that a pet is dying. And like you, I always ask first, are you ready to go? Do you want to be euthanized? How will your How will your mom know that it's time for you? And they'll say things like, when I can't control my bowels anymore, when I stop eating, when I can't get up, whatever. And it it differs depending on whoever the pet is. You say that you have a, a 75% success rate in helping to locate missing animals and reuniting them with their owners. How's that work? You alluded to a, a little bit earlier where you'll see different locations and things, but but give us a couple of examples of pets that you found and what the process was. Uh, the first pet I ever found was Ollie on Long Island, and it was actually right in the beginning of COVID. And I remember I saw, um, I, I wasn't doing missing pets at the time. And I remember someone found me on the internet and messaged me and I said, oh, I don't do this. And and she, I remember them saying, please, he's diabetic. He's been gone a few days. And I went, oh man, 
And I remember I saw a long dirt road and like him being stuck under something. And so I'm saying long dirt road, I'm describing this in like a red shed. And I remember the text back was long dirt road. We live on Long Island. Like there's no long dirt roads here. And I was like, okay, like I'll try and work with him because I felt like he was stuck. I kept hearing stuck, stuck, stuck. And uh, sure enough, the next day uh, I was still working with them. And I, and, and I kept saying, can you get unstuck? And he said, I'll try. And he kept showing like this red, um, red shed and something. And I just felt like his leg was stuck. And sure enough, like an hour later, I got the call that they, he was found on a down a long dirt road. And they'd actually looked at this house before and there was a, a red shed and he was stuck. He had gotten under and he was stuck and he was outside and he was looking very dazed. He had actually dislocated his leg to get out. And, uh, he was in diabetic shock. I think the vet said if he had been out two more hours, he would have died. But he's still alive to this day a couple of years later. Um, that was pretty spectacular. And I loved it because afterwards, the clients uh, took a, <laughs> sent a photo or created a video. And they're walking down this road. And I hear them going, see, this is where the pet psychic said she, he was. And so, and I still talk with his family, which is wonderful. Um, the other one that actually is is what got me in the Washington Post by some crazy way was uh willow was uh in a car that was stolen this client had been driving back from new york city and had stopped at a gas station and uh the car was stolen with willow inside what was and willow a cat or a oh, dog sorry or? a cat she was a, a fluffy fluffy cat and uh she was in her carrier and sh the car was stolen and this was a couple days later and i remember telling her uh telling the client, okay, I see where she is. She's still alive. I said, but we've got to get this loud. We've got to make this very loud because we've got to let, because at, at the time I felt like the the people that still in her car, that they, they had taken her to like their mom's house or some house. And this mom was like, what the hell do you want me to do with this cat? Like, what is this cat doing here? Anyway, so they still had the cat. And I remember telling her though, like we need to be very, very loud. And I actually have a background in organizing, organizing and, and activism. And I went on TikTok and it was actually my first viral TikTok. And we did a TikTok together. And I said, this is where she, this is where the cat was lost. Here's the gas station she was lost at. This is the area. This is where I feel like the cat is. And it took off and it's and all of a sudden like i i don't know if willow got on the news there but all of a sudden we had all of jersey new jersey mobilized in this area and everyone starts searching for willow and meanwhile i'm still sensing and i felt like i do feel like they heard the the noise that people were trying to create because it just just erupted i forget if willow ended up on the news but it was getting very big and um Sure enough, a day later, she was found um, in her carrier in this empty lot. And uh, someone heard about it from the Washington Post. And the client was like, it was all Nancy, go talk to her. And I was, I had no idea. I mean, I was just like, yeah, I thought they maybe mentioned my name. And instead, there's this nice little, it was a nice little paragraph, but I had no idea. But, you know, and that's what I told the reporters. Well, which is I just told, I said, I know where she, we knew where she was. We knew the neighborhood she was in. But we had to, in cases where you have a stolen pet, the, you have to make so much noise. You have to make noise. That's the best chance you have at letting them release them. You want to get them like, oh, shoot, we have this cat. And I think really, to be fair, someone's mom had Willow. <laughs> and I could just see this woman going, what the hell do you want me to do? Like, what, what am I doing with the cat? I'm not taking care of this cat. Like this, I could just see this mom just going, I'm done. 
And so to be fair, I think the mom probably helped as well and basically said, get this cat out of my house. Um, but Willow, I, I, we, we talked on our, on her one year anniversary of being found and I still keep in contact with her owner as well. So it's been, a lot of it is just me sensing just like a, a, a pet that's hurt or has, you know, aggression issues. It's just sensing where they are, sensing locations. Sometimes I'll get numbers, I'll get words of streets or sounds of streets. I will get details of this is what the house looks like. So for instance, with Ollie, with Oliver, it was uh, the red shed, the dirt road, and I could see like how long the dirt road and I could see what was around. So it's about giving people as many details as they can and then going to that area. But it takes, a lot of times it takes more than just going to that area. It takes knocking on doors, which a lot of people are hesitant to do, but it's about making noise. Interesting. I've done that too, not only for animals, but also for humans. And the one that stands out the most for me was a gal that had been kidnapped and she had been killed. Mm. And I said, here's where you're going to find her. She was in a cornfield, mm. you know, and I gave like the area, the crossroads mm-hmm. and things like that. And so I think it's important to remember too, that we can communicate with the spirit, whether it's attached to a body or mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. is irrelevant and mm-hmm. we can help help bring some peace, even if it's not a good outcome that the pet or the person mm-hmm. is found, but help bring comfort to the family that's lost a, a pet or a, or a human. You have two cats and two dogs. Do you just talk with them all day? No, no. <laughs> my My cattle dog wants nothing to do with me as far as sensing. I rarely will sense her unless she's in serious pain. She just she just, she's cattle dog. Um, yeah, I, I mean, no, because it takes energy. And, you know, when I, like, when we get off this podcast, I'm going to go for a walk with my spouse, you know? So if, unless I'm on, I, my family and I went on vacation in December and we had a pet sitter here and my kids every day, my kids would go, can you check in on them? Can you check in on them? And then I would, uh, I would definitely check in my cat. I have a cat named Katniss and a cat named Prim and Katniss was missing us. Katniss was definitely going, when are you coming home? When are you coming home? Uh, so can I, can I sense them? Yes. Do I all the time? No, no. I mean, no, you know, it, unless it's an immediate need, you know, uh, and some, and also I, I want to keep my husband. I want to keep my spouse. And I think that if I was just, you know, giving him a replay of what the pets were saying all the time, he would just, you know, like the other night, uh, he wanted to go on a slow walk. And, and all of a sudden I look at Abby, my, my black lab, and she goes, I want to go for a walk. I want to go for a walk. And I was like, well, we have to take Abby. And my husband's like, oh man, like he just, he just wanted to go for a walk without the dogs. And I said, well, we can't not take them now. Like they know. So yes and no, I, 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 I need to spare my family. (laughs) Well, and and people ask me that frequently too. They'll say, well, are you communicating with spirits all day? Yeah, are you scared no. of people when you go out? No, I turn it on and off. I, yeah. you know, I do laundry. I yeah. unload the dishwasher. I do like regular stuff, go yeah. to the store, talk yeah. to friends. I turn yeah. it on and off whenever yeah. the need arises or if I'm working with a I, client. Same with I you. joke, I have a psych, I have psych Nancy and friend Nancy. So I'll be talking to a friend and you know, and, and I'll be like, okay, do you want the psychic Nancy answer or do you want the friend Nancy answer? And so, and sometimes I'll be like, no, we just want the friend Nancy, which is, you know, I just want you to listen and okay. But sometimes I'll ask that because immediately when a friend starts talking sometimes, and I don't know about you, but I'll start sensing without even realizing I'm doing it. And so when they, when I ask, you know, friend Nancy, psychic Nancy, they go, friend Nancy, okay, I turn that off then. Yeah, absolutely. 
How can owners telepathically communicate with their animals? I think they do without even realizing it. I, I think it's just connecting with them. Uh, I, I tell them, uh, you know, ask them one word questions or one, one word answers. Um, do you like your food? You start really simple. Do you like your food? Do you like your bed? And trust the answer that's given. I can I even say like, you know, write it down in your phone, take a notebook and just start asking yes, no, very black and white answers. And just, I also say that if you hear something off the wall, it's probably your pet. You know, I remember when we first adopted our black lab, uh, we were walking her out to pee. And I remember one night I just heard so distinctly, don't watch me, don't watch me. So, and that was not me sensing. It was just her like yelling at me. So if you hear something that doesn't make any sense to you, it's probably your pet. Well, yeah. And I agree that we're all doing it. People are doing it and they're just not aware of it. And I always say, if you say something to your pet, they're going to answer. It's going to come in as fast as you can snap your fingers. Like, or before, sometimes Mm -hmm. you even have the thought all the way Mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. And that's because time doesn't exist in the spirit world. So that telepathic communication, they've already got your question sometimes before you've even thought it out Mm -hmm. all the way, your, your question or your statement. What a fun discussion. How can people learn more about you? You can go to my website, nancymelo.com. It's just N-A-N-C-Y-M-E-L-O.com. TikTok, nancy.mello. If you uh, are on TikTok, you don't have to post any photos. I have lots of people of all ages go, yeah, I'm on TikTok. I just watch all the videos. And uh, Instagram is nancymelloofficial. It has a little check mark, so you know it's me. Wonderful. Well, thanks for taking the time to join us today and and have fun on your walk with your honey so (laughs) thanks for having me you bet everybody i'll see you soon sending you lots of love from sweet home alabama in connecticut too where nancy is and i'll see you next time thanks bye everybody thanks for joining us be sure to follow julie on instagram and youtube at ask julie ryan and like her on facebook at ask julie ryan To schedule an appointment or submit a question, please visit AskJulieRyan.com. This show is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be medical, psychological, financial, or legal advice. Please contact a licensed professional. The Ask Julie Ryan Show, Julie Ryan and all parties involved in producing, recording, and distributing it assume no responsibility for listeners' actions based on any information heard on this or any Ask Julie Ryan shows or podcasts.